Now I'll walk up. <clears throat> well, good morning, everybody. I know that it's October 20th. By the way, holy crap, it's October 20th? Like, what? It's... So anyway, um, it's October 20th, but I am one of those people that thinks that there is no end of season for ice cream. Is anyone else like this? Yes? Yeah? Yeah? Uh, um, so it, it, look at your neighbor real quick. Uh, share what's your favorite uh, ice cream flavor and then topping to put, put, pair it with. Go. Do it. Talk. All right. <clears throat> um, if you're still talking, it's a chance that you're probably like me. Um, because when I go to a, an ice cream place that's uh, self-serve, like Yogurtini or, or places like that, I have this problem. I get that cup that you can fill your own uh, ice cream with, and I'll grab that divider, and I'll put it in there, and there's so many ice cream flavors that I'm like, I've never heard of this combination. I want to try that, right? And I'm trying all of these different flavors, and then you get to the topping section, and you're like, this would go great with this, and, and this has got to go on this stuff, and, and, and I just get overwhelmed, and so what ends up happening in my cup is that it becomes this overloaded gobbledygook of ice cream sugar that really doesn't taste like anything it should, right? <laughs> you're like, oh, that's an M&M, I think. I've mixed so much stuff in there. Does anyone else have this problem? We go and do this. Yeah, we're messed up in the head. Um, I was so proud of myself. I was at Cold Stone with some friends last night, and I got one ice cream flavor and one topping. My mom is just going to be so proud of me. Mom, if you're watching, hey. Um, we are starting a, a series on generosity called Enough, and we are looking at how do we foster the joy that comes out of simplicity and uh, generosity that we can have when we cultivate that in our lives. Before we dig into this topic, because we're going to be talking uh, about money and uh, our pocketbooks, uh, I want to say this very clearly, that, that I'm not up here to judge. I'm not up here to judge you and your situation. I can only judge me. I, I know how much I make and how much I give away and um, what kind of uh, selfishness resides in myself, and so I'm not up here to judge. And I also want to say very clearly that having wealth is not sinful. Money is morally neutral, just like uh, other things that are in this life that are morally neutral that we can also use for good or evil. So you can use money for good or evil. Uh, you can use it for good as in giving to your favorite um, charity, supporting cancer research, partnering with Woods Chapel as we're trying to impact this world and uh, our local context. Um, but you can also use it for evil, like ordering a golden opulence Sunday that you could find in Serendipity 3, a legendary restaurant in New York City. Uh, Serendipity 3 is a place where people spot celebrities often, and uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of uh, a tour for what you're looking at, because you might be not uh, believing me that you're looking at an ice cream sundae, but that's what you're looking at. And so uh, I want to describe this, so uh, make sure we keep that uh, picture up there for a while. Um, this is uh, started off with an edible 23-carat gold 
leaf. Which doesn't sound like you should be ingesting something that's actual gold. What? Like, I saw that James Bond movie where they covered that woman in gold. It didn't turn out very well for her. So I I would assume that ingesting it's not going to do very well for you. Uh, So you've got the gold leaf. And then it's rich in flavor thanks to Tahitian vanilla ice cream infused with Madagascar vanilla beans and chunks of rare Chihuahua chocolate from Venezuela. Yeah. And in lieu of Hershey's syrup and uh, maraschino cherry, this Sunday's drizzled with one of the world's most expensive chocolates uh, from Amade Porcelana, which just sounds snobby. Uh, that's a chocolate bar. I got a picture of that too. That you can buy this for $18.50 on a- Amazon. It is on sale currently if uh, you want to spend your money on that. Has anyone? Uh, don't raise your hand because we'll judge you. Um, I'm just kidding. Oh my gosh, I bet five of my friends have done that. Uh, Go back to the Sunday if we could, Richard. Um, So then the Sunday's adorned with candied fruits and gold-covered almonds, chocolate truffles, and marzipan cherries. And I'm not done, by the way. Um, This dish also features a dollop of sweet grande passion caviar. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, that's, it's served with a mother-of-pearl spoon and a gilded sugar flower. I had to look up what a gilded sugar flower is, and I realized, I know what those are. It sounds pretentious, but a gilded sugar flower, you have them on wedding cakes, right? It's just a bunch of sugar that's in a, a flower shape. So um, I guess that's not that crazy, but uh, it's served in a Baccarat crystal goblet, which is yours to keep. I don't know if I'm pronouncing Baccarat uh, correctly, and I don't really care. And it comes with an 18-carat gold spoon, which you cannot take home, unfortunately. Um, and I, I, have, I have so many thoughts about this thing. Uh, I have so many thoughts. Where do, where do we begin? I mean, I get the candied fruits. Like, that sounds like it would be kind of uh, delicious in like a Cold Stone kind of mix-up or at Yogurtini. Uh, I get the expensive sh- uh, uh, chocolate syrup. Although Hershey's is more than perfectly fine, like you really don't know, need to go beyond Hershey's syrup. They make a dark chocolate Hershey's syrup now, I think, and, and that's, that's great. But, but gold-covered almonds? I mean, who is thinking about a Sunday and then in the back of their mind is also thinking, I'd, I'd like to crack a tooth. I haven't seen my dentist for a while. Why don't I just make up an excuse? No, you just go and call him out, uh, see if he or she wants to go out for a drink or something. You don't need to crack a tooth by eating a gold-covered almond. What? You're ruining an almond and the gold, frankly. So you've got marzipan cherries. Listen, get out of here. Marzipan cherries, uh, why are you, uh, go, I, don't, I don't know, maybe they're delicious, but you get your fancy cherries and your expensive almonds and, and just go away because I don't, I, I don't know what you're doing with this. Um, I, I think that it would be cool to take home the Baccarat crystal goblet. That'd be really cool. And uh, the gold-covered spoon. I understand that they're not going to let you take that home. But I'm going to be honest with you. I'd be really tempted to take that spoon home, right? Yeah? Think of all the good you could do with that spoon. Uh, Put it in the drawer. Not eat it. I don't know. I don't know what you do with a gold-covered spoon. But here's what the clincher is for why I think this ice cream sundae is, in fact, evil. Is evil too strong of a word? 
uh, well, I mean, I don't know if ice cream can be evil. Ice cream is morally neutral, like money. I've heard that it could be sinfully delicious, which is a different kind of thing. But I think anyone who's ordering this uh, on the regular is probably in the same category as genocidal dictators. I'll stand by that. I'll stand by this. If you're going to Serendipity 3 and they say uh, the golden opulent Sunday again, you'll be like, yes, well, you're in the same category. And uh, I don't care if that goes viral. But here's what makes this truly evil. The dollop of sweet grande passion caviar? Who is putting baby fish eggs in their Sunday? I mean, that's completely evil unless it tastes like caramel, and then maybe, maybe you could talk me into eating baby fish eggs on a Sunday, but I doubt it. I doubt it because it just sounds disgusting, right? Yeah. So, money. Money. Uh, like I said, we're in a series called Enough. And we're looking at how do we develop generosity and simplicity in our lives as opposed to opulence and complexity. A lot of times what gets us in trouble with uh, money is that we're discontent with what we have. And so we, we feel the need to get more money and to spend it on things that we don't have. We think that we need to put every single topping on multiple flavor, flavors of ice cream so that we feel like we're living large. Are you feeling my metaphor? Like uh, we get so much when really we have more joy and the simplicity in life. I'm reminded of a conversation I had in college with uh, a couple of friends who, um, uh, some roommates and then some uh, people across the hall. And uh, there was a, a girl, a woman, young woman named Abby who was in our hall. And we were talking about uh, this, that, and the other. And somehow the, the topic of uh, what would you run in to get in your house if your house was on fire. You're going to lose everything. And I jumped in. I chimed in immediately um, to kind of sound spiritual and in kind of an influential way, not to be like, oh, this is what I would do. I'm holier than thou. No, but, but to try and maybe have some influence in Abby's life. And so I said, I would run in and I'd grab my Bible. And she looks at me and she goes, really? Because I would run in and get my family pictures and, and pictures of my friends because I, 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 I'm not going to have those after the fire. And I felt so dumb. I felt so dumb because it's not like the Bible I was thinking about was a family heirloom Bible. It wasn't the Gutenberg Bible that belongs in a museum. It was just a Bible that I could have gone to many stores in Kirksville, Missouri and purchased a Bible and, and written in and highlighted and do all, all the stuff that, that made me love that Bible that I had way back when. I think we could relate to that because even though we still have uh, thousands, maybe uh, several, several thousands of photos and videos that are on our phones or, or stored up in the sky somewhere, we probably have photos on our walls, family photos of uh, grandpas and grandmas that aren't in the cloud. And it got me thinking about all of that stuff in my life. And if it all burned down, would I really miss it? I mean, I'd probably miss a lot of my Cubs World Series gear because that stuff doesn't come around for like 100 year, of years or so. Um, but as Christ followers who practice the teachings of Jesus, Jesus and his, his followers have a lot of things to say to us about, about how to develop contentment in our lives. Because we live in an age of discontentment. We're marketed that way. 
That, that's how people sell the, the new gadgets, is that you should be discontent with your old tech. And so our scripture is from Philippians chapter 4, if you want to open your Bibles or crack open your Bible app, and we're going to be starting at verse 11. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So this letter, uh, this letter was written by a guy named Paul, one of the first uh, in the original generation of Christ followers. And over the summer, we looked at some passages from this letter that he wrote. We looked at uh, Fostering Joy. And this letter is written to a group of Christ followers that are in Philippi, which is in modern-day Turkey. And it was an important colony in the Roman Empire. And so when Paul wrote these words for them to read, he wrote them when he was in a prison cell in Rome. And he was waiting to hear word about whether or not he was going to be executed for traveling the empire and telling people about the forgiveness and love of God as expressed in Jesus Christ. And so when he's writing this, if, if you were to go to uh, this prison cell, you would be lowered through a hole in the floor into a cavernous, damp pit. And can you imagine writing to a bunch of people that you love and, and telling them that you've discovered the secret to being content, no matter what the circumstances are, and you're writing this letter in, in, in a cramped, moldy, musty, however big of a, a pit this was, and you're in chains, and you can say, I have found the secret to being content. I've discovered it. How could he write that? Paul went through the ringer as far as getting persecuted for uh, his faith is concerned. He, he was flogged. He was shipwrecked. He was uh, stoned. He was thrown into prison cell after prison cell. He was beaten into inches of his life several times. And he came to the point where it didn't matter what happened to him. Paul rested in who Christ is, what Christ had done, what Christ is going to do. Paul rested in the fact that he knew who he was in Christ. It didn't matter what he had or what he didn't have. That's the secret that Paul found. We're not going to be content over ice cream that's got an expensive dollop of baby fish eggs and expensive chocolate drizzle and an 18-carat gold spoon. Seriously, don't rip off a, a restaurant of their golden spoons. That's not, not going to be good. We've got to learn to be content. We have to be learn uh, how to be content and to figure out what Paul was talking about. But it takes effort on our part. It takes uh, desire. It takes self-control to be able to get to a place where we are cultivating content, that we're living for a greater purpose. So how do you do that? How do you cultivate content? First, for all my pessimists in the room, where are my pessimists at? Yeah? Yeah? Come on, don't be shy. You are all undervalued. I mean, stop talking negatively all the time, but like, you're so undervalued. Um, but first up, for my pessimists, you'll, you'll jive with this. We need to remember that it could always be worse. Do you feel that? You got to remember that it could always 
be worse. Now, for my optimists in the room, our, our sunny optimists that uh, forget about their troubles all the time, or not really, but uh, the flip side of this is that there's a silver lining to every cloud, that there's always uh, something positive that you can find in whatever circumstance that you're in. And so we've got to remember that things can always be worse, to, to count our blessings, to be thankful for what we have. That's how you cultivate contentment. I was talking to a friend of mine a, a while ago about um, someone at their workplace who, um, someone at their workplace had, uh, was going through a, a breakdown of sorts and just having a super stressful day. And as this person was leaving, they were humming to themselves, kind of almost like they were not necessarily in touch with reality, but just to kind of say, I'm done with this, so I'm just going to hum my way out of the building. And uh, this person thought, you know what, I'm going to start thinking that no matter what kind of bad day I'm having, at least I'm not humming. <laughs> and it stood out to me that, yeah, that's, that's a great way to look on the bright side of things or to think about that things could be worse. And that's a great practice for cultivating contentment. Another great way to cultivate contentment is to ask yourself, how long will this thing that I'm about to buy give me happiness? How much hope do I really have that this is going to improve my life? And for how long is that going to last? All the parents in the room probably can understand this. When you buy um, that, uh, that toy for uh, your loved one, your child, and they open it, and they're super excited, but then they end up playing with the what longer than the toy? The box. The cardboard box that's easily recyclable, easily replaceable. I think I might own, uh, open up a toy store that's just selling cardboard boxes. That would be great, wouldn't it? I put Disney princesses on it. Um, it's, it's a way to cultivate contentment uh, in little children. We have to develop a grateful heart. That's how you cultivate contentment. Paul wrote to another group of uh, Christ followers this time in First Thessalonians. He said this, Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Rejoice in what you have. Rejoice in the life that you've been given. Pray and give thanks. Those are great ways to cultivate grateful hearts. Because when we have grateful hearts, we, we understand the gifts that we've been given. And it leads us to want to be able to share those gifts with other people. Because who doesn't like giving gifts? Everyone loves giving gifts. The last verse in this passage that I read this morning from uh, Philippians, it's an oft-quoted line, uh, Philippians uh, verse 13, I can do all things, all this through him who gives me strength. I think this is one of the most overused and misapplied scriptures that's out there. Now hear me very well. This is a great verse. It's a great line. But I think that it's overused and misapplied time and time again. Now, please, no one take offense in the room if you've ever done this, because I'm guilty of this as well. But I see this uh, posted sometimes on Instagram or, or the Bible app or whatever, and people say, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And they're talking about running a marathon or, or, or getting good grades in school or uh, getting that promotion uh, or making difficult desserts that Gordon Ramsay would yell over. No one's going to have contentment 
if Gordon Ramsay is just yelling at you on a TV show all the time, right? The real application of I can do all things through him who gives me strength is found in the context in which Paul wrote it. He didn't write it while he was trying to train for a track and field event. He didn't, he didn't write it trying to squeak out an A in Mrs. Van Ness's chemistry class. He wrote it when he was in a, a cramped pit. And he's realizing that he doesn't need stuff to find the joy that we have in Christ. It doesn't take away from doing hard things in this world. But I think what we end up doing is forgetting how powerful this verse is. Not only in its original context, but how powerful it can be in our lives. Because all of us, all of us at one point are going to lose something that matters to us. Whether that's our things or someone we love. I can do all things through him who gives me strength because we can find contentment in who Jesus Christ is, what he has done, what he is doing, and who we are in Christ Jesus. That's how you find contentment. When we focus on loving God and loving our neighbors as ourselves, we find contentment. Deep in our hearts, we desire to be connected with Christ because when we do that, we see other people as 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 other children of God who need that connection as well. We have a higher purpose than just getting more and more stuff. In Ecclesiastes, it says this, Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. They didn't have Google that knew what you look at online to, to, to put in your feed to see what you might want to purchase, right? Uh. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had spent in doing it, and again, all was a vanity and a chasing after the wind. See, when we put our hope in the things that we get and, and wanting more and more stuff, it's like running after the wind. It's not going to lead anywhere good. We're not going to have anything in the end. In Hebrews, it says this, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For Christ has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can say with confidence, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. We get in trouble when we love money. And no, one, no one's going to admit that they love money unless you're a Wall Street tycoon. But we love money in subtle, sneaky ways. And it shows up in, in how much online shopping we're doing or how, much, uh, how lack of a self-control we might have in, in getting more and more things. Have you ever looked for reasons to be unhappy with something that you have because the newest model is out? And you're like, well, it... <laughs> It doesn't have the right kind of characters that I would like to send my friends in a text. Well, it, it doesn't turn on quite as quickly. Well, it's not as shiny. Well, it's not this, it's not that. And then all of a sudden, we're, we're itching to have more and to, to make our lives more complex. We're constantly bombarded with messages that if we had the newest gadget, the, the best clothes, the newest car, or whatever, then our lives would be better. Instead of listening to those messages, what if, what if we started to spread that message that, that hey, everybody, we're not going to be content unless we have a firm foundation in who Jesus is 
and who he is in our life. You know how you get ice cream from the grocery store if you're going to eat it at home? No one goes to Serendipity 3 to say, I'll have that to go. No, you don't, <laughs> you don't do that. You go to the grocery store and you buy um, whatever ice cream that you like. I'm a bluebell kind of guy. And so uh, I read this story about uh, a man who works at a grocery store named Johnny. And uh, it's this incredible story. It's been around a little bit, but I had never heard it. And so I'm going to share it with you. Johnny is someone who has Down syndrome, but also he has this drive to lift people's spirits. And so uh, this journey for him began when he went to a company-sponsored workshop where they had a guest speaker who was telling all of the grocery store employees that they have a higher calling, that they have a higher purpose. And when they start to see their jobs as as a way to live that out, it can change their lives. And so Johnny took this to heart. And he goes home and he begins printing 300 slips of paper uh, that he cuts up and they have positive sayings on them. And he puts them into people's grocery store bags. And he says, hey, I put a message in there for you to read later. And after about a month of doing this, the manager notices that everyone is always in Johnny's line at the grocery store. They're always wanting to be in his line. And so he finds out that even when he announces that, hey, there's no, there's no line on aisle two or three, that no, one's, no one moves because they can't wait to talk to Johnny. They can't wait to get that saying in their grocery store bag. And he realized that his mission had a bigger purpose than just putting groceries into a bag. And that's a great example of finding what our higher purpose is because it's not in stuff. So when we find contentment in who Christ is calling us to be, we're on the road to finding more joy. I want to quote from a pastor who has good things to say about this. He says, Choosing contentment does not mean that we stop buying things or move into cramped homes or apartments. Rather, choosing contentment means that we look to God as our source, giving thanks for what we have. It means we ask God to give us the right perspective on money and possessions and to change our hearts each day. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says that when we have a change of heart, our treasure's location changes as well. For where your heart is, there, your tre- there will your treasure be also. And so it begins with prayer. Last week, I shared that I was going to be praying uh, a prayer from Proverbs, uh, a, pro- a verse in Proverbs every day. And I encourage you to pray this with me. If you need to write it down, it's Proverbs 30, verse 7 and 9, but this is how it goes. Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. May that be your prayer as well. May you find contentment in who Christ Jesus is and who he is calling you to be. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for loving us so well. Thank you for for speaking to us, for trying to do all sorts of things to drive the idolatry of more things out of our hearts. So I pray for our community, I pray for myself as well, that you would help us to do that, to, to find the joy in being generous, to find the joy in simplicity.
Thank you for your generous love for us. Thank you for your simple forgiveness that you give to us. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen.